0: Let's turn to number four hundred fifty three, number four fifty three. And let's stand together, number four hundred fifty three. You know by memory. To be a short one or a long one. We'll just quote a short one, okay? There it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And you can be seated. I know some of you said Jesus wept, and that's not fair. Number
1: 153,
0: The Lily of the Valley. Sometimes people request songs, not very often. A couple of weeks ago, we did one on Sunday morning. Uh, We did one this morning. Not everyone knew it, but we sang. (laughs) Lily of the Valley, number 153. tonight for the blessings you have sent our way I thank you for this church this beautiful place we have to worship thank you now for the time we have for offering I pray you bless the gift and bless those around the world who we want to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ we pray that it will reach those ends thank you for tonight pray to be with brother Daniel as he comes to preach in a few moments in Jesus name amen
2: Video here at Annie Armstrong, a video from Clarkston, Georgia.
3: I was born in Clarkston and it was a very close knit town. My dad was a deacon in Clarkston Baptist Church, so everything that I knew and everything that our whole family did was centered around church.
4: A lot of people Close, question, you know, if you're a real missionary, why don't you go overseas?
3: Town it just does
4: something to your heart when you realize, wow, church. you're church. surrounded by so much well, lostness,
3: Everything really. that I knew and everything that our whole family did was sent around church. In Vietnam, a lot of I was a question company question, commander a over there, and when we came back, Clarkson so was nowhere, nowhere near what it was. So
4: much, when when diversity life. really skyrocketed, a lot of people left our church and moved further out into the suburbs. And we approached a Filipino church and and then also an African church and said, is there any way way we could merge? And in 2004, it was official, and and, uh, the three churches combined to create Clarkston International Bible Church. And we approached a Filipino church and then also an African church and said, is there any way we could merge? A hub is basically a ministry center. There's churches that wanna learn what's it look like to do ministry with refugees. We wanna be able to show them, hey, this is how we do it. This is why we do what we do.
3: Every Sunday morning when I look out over CIBC, I said, this has gotta be the way heaven to look. There's gonna be one of every race
4: people give to the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. It has tangible impact here in Clarkston. We're able to buy evangelistic resources in the heart languages spoken by our diverse community. We're able to fund our ethnic church planters and to free up their time to share the gospel with more people. Your contribution helps us reach more people with the gospel.
3: Every model airplane you build, you get a set of directions and you have to follow it to the letter. My direction to Bible, follow it right to the letter.
2: That is a video there from the Andy Armstrong Easter offering, which Easter will be here, gosh, in two months. It'll be here very soon. Clarkson George's, that is in uh, Gwinnett County, which actually is a county northeast of Atlanta. It has a million people. It's one of the most diverse counties there in Atlanta. Because uh, it has, they have a, it's called the, there's a, it's called, there's even an area called International Center because it's so diverse. You drive down one road and truly every single um, restaurant of every background is certainly there. So that is exciting to see uh, our North American Mission Board be intentional about planning churches and certainly doing a new work there. Uh, in Clarkston, Georgia. Next Sunday night, I will to give you a Sunday night schedule here. Tonight, we're, uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We're going through the book of Luke on Sunday evenings. My, it's my favorite book of the Bible. I enjoy uh, teaching and uh, reading it. Also, I want to give a next couple of updates. Next week, we have Kenny and Cheryl Morris here. Kenny and Cheryl Morris are former members of our church and they are now IMB missionaries and they serve in southern Panama. Along the um, Panamanian and Colombian border, and what they do there is they are very intentional about uh, reaching. Colombia is is a challenging country to work in and get uh, and uh, uh, reach. Uh, church planting. There's uh, indigenous peoples there, a lot of uh, Indians, and they are, they work with those folks and they train. They're building a training center right now in a city called Hockey which is on the Pacific Ocean side, about 18-20 miles from the Colombian border and they're building a training center to train people to um, learn the gospel uh, and be uh, church planners to be school teachers to basically take their whatever they do but put Jesus in it and be a, a, a missionaries that way so it's a training center and that folks can come there get the training they need, and then go into Colombia and deep into uh, a real rural area of Panama, mainly working with indigenous peoples. So they actually, what happens with the IMB is, IMB has, you know, of course, limited resources, so you have these, when you're a missionary, you have these grand plans of what you want to do, and really, well, mostly what IMB missionaries do is they mostly, cl- they mostly train others to take the gospel. For example, if I wanted to reach Colombia for Christ, me showing up from Kentucky saying I'm here to win everybody in Columbia to the Lord would not be as effective as finding some Colombian believers or even some Panamanian believers and train them how to do soul winning and plant a church and do a new work. And you train these natives who then take the gospel and reach their own people. Uh, people are more responsive this way. Uh, the gospel goes out, uh, they can speak the heart language, it's not a second dialect, or even a second language for us. So that is mostly, that's pretty much what IMB missionaries do now. You're training uh, believers, or if you're working in a totally unchurched area, you're prayer walking, trying to start a new church, and then get a, lead someone to Christ, and then you disciple him and make him plan a church, and when you leave, that's the model of Paul, he, he's there to continue the work, and you certainly follow up with him. But uh, what happens is, because IMB has limited resources, um, they have, Kenny and Cheryl created their, really their own organization that helps supply funding, and it's called the Gospel Reach Foundation. What that does is it helps meet their needs, such as helping build this um, uh, training center there in Hake, Panama, and our church gave a little over $1,000 uh, just um, what, a few months, about, two months ago towards the Gospel Reach Foundation. So what it does is, say, say it costs $100,000 for the, your, what you want to do for the whole year. Well, the IMB might pay eighty or ninety. You just come a little short and you're about 10000 15000 short or so. That's when you bring in the Gospel Reach Foundation. And that's very common where uh, it helps meet, uh, make, make ends meet. So... Kenny and Cheryl, they're going to be preaching here. They're actually going to start out, they're going to go down to Team Kid at the very beginning and speak to the children, and then they're going to come up here. So uh, they'll, we might have to sing an extra song or two next, next week, David, or I'll show a video. And then they'll come up and share. It's, uh, it's a blessing to see, folks. They're now, their home church is now in Frankfurt. I think it's Buck Run Baptist Church. And that's um, a real strong bibl- uh, biblically-based church there in um, uh, in Frankfurt, so they'll when they come back, I think they're they're having a granddaughter being born. That's why they're coming back on this sh- uh, extra extra trip. So, but we're that's going to be a great blessing. That's going to be on Super Bowl Sunday. You know, college football has replaced NFL, so everybody needs to still come to church. Plus, the NFL Super Bowl it lasts forever, so it won't be go- It won't be it won't be over at eleven thirty at night. So, you come to church that night. Um, two weeks from tonight, we have a dinner. You need to come to. We're going to cater food from Columbia Steakhouse as well as we're going to have the overtones. They're going to be a quartet. We also have special food, have a p- pizza stuff for the kids, um, games for them. So there'll be stuff for children going on as well. That's two weeks from tonight. So and then I guess in three weeks tonight, we will resume our Luke study. So but, um, that's our Sunday night schedule here. Luke chapter 4, verse 14 through 30. This is Jesus' rejection. Jesus here, he has been now baptized. He overcame his temptations. He's now taking the gospel to his hometown. And he's going to go to his hometown of Nazareth. And you would think the little town he grew up in, in Nazareth, in Galilee's in the northern part of Israel, you would think it was a poor area. It was uh, maybe a down... You probably, uh, in the United States, people look... In other parts of the nation, they look down upon people who are in the south, especially the deep south. That's how Galilee would be. It would be here from Mississippi or Louisiana, uh, down in one of those states like that. So that's where Jesus is from. Yet he's going to say something miraculous. And what we're going to go over today is we're going to actually see what a Jewish worship service looks like. Because we have to remember, Jesus grew up in this synagogue. He learned his Bible. That he, uh, he learned, this was his uh, teachings that he learned in here at Nazareth. And um, it's one that we need to see. What, was, what did a Jewish worship worship service look like while jesus was alive when he went and teach so we're going to go through that here so we're going to look at some other passages as well in deuteronomy isaiah and first and second kings because jesus quotes that and jesus quotes in the old testament that means if it's important enough for jesus to quote it's important enough for us to read so turn your bible luke chapter 4 verse 14 then jesus returned to galilee in the power of the spirit now this is after his temptation and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised for everyone. So Jesus is starting to become well-known. He's healing folks. He's teaching. We're realizing this guy's pretty smart. And look what happens here. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue. You know, the thing, as usual, Jesus went to church. Every every week, he was was a regular church. He wasn't someone who, that phrase, as usual... you know, this coming Wednesday, we're going to be looking at the fourth commandment. That's, that's honoring the Sabbath. That's obeying, making the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. You know, we know the actual Sabbath day in Judaism is on Saturday. We as Christians worship because of the resurrection. We worship on what we call the Lord's Day, which is today on Sunday. So Jesus is here on a Saturday. And we're going to, we're going to be talking about that, comparing the difference between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day on Wednesday night. So here he is, as usual, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Go ahead right now and turn To Isaiah chapter sixty one, and I'm gonna. We have a slide here. Uh, We'll want to have. There we go. We're gonna stop right here. We're gonna go over. We're gonna pretend, go back two thousand years ago, and let's say you went to the synagogue, and you always wonder. We plan. David Dale plans a worship service, and this is a worship service in a Baptist church. But what would a worship service have looked like when Jesus' time? So here's the layout. This is what it would have been. You walk in, and they repeat the Shema. We're going to look at that. The Shema. Actually, keep your finger here in Isaiah sixty-one. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter six. We're going to first look at that. This is the Shema. This is the statement that is. It's the way you know how Zach comes and he reads, opens our service with scripture. That would. They would have done that in a synagogue. And they would have read Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. Now, it's also found, there's a, 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 another version of it in Deuteronomy eleven thirteen 13-21, and then also Numbers 15, 37, 41 talks about this. But this passage here, Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, is the central verse in Judaism. Every Jewish worship service in the synagogue would start with the priest standing up and reading this. And I'll, I'll read it to you. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. I want you to follow on because this is you would, you, as, you would have to memorize this scripture. As a, as a Jewish person, you would know these verses right here. You know, when David asked to stand and um, uh, say a Bible verse to somebody around, well, if you were a Jewish, you, know, you wouldn't say, Jesus wept, you'd quote the Shema, because you would know it, because you would hear it over and over and over again. This would be ingrained in your mind. So I want to read it here. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit down at your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Do you know when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment? Do you know he quoted this? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He also put mind in there too. In the Leviticus version of it, recanting of this includes the love of the Lord with all your mind. So four parts of loving the Lord with your God at all. And the Bible makes it very clear that your children, your doorposts, everywhere you go, you put on your forehead, your arm, And what they're literally saying there is this is supposed to be bound of who you are. People are supposed to know because when they see you and hear from you that this man, this woman loves the Lord because all they do is talk about how much they love the Lord. There's an overflowing part. That is how the Jewish worship service would begin. They would have a priest stand up there and they would quote the Shema. And many times the people would quote it back. It would be like a responsive reading is how it would go. Then moving along here, then there would be a prayer. Uh, they'd, uh, the priest would pray. The leader there would pray for the folks. Uh, this would be like the pastoral prayer. You'd pray for uh, the needs there. And then they would also, you would read a passage out of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is also known as the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. So they would have a reading out of that. But then there would also be a reading out of the prophets. Now what would happen here is the sermon would be based on the Pentateuch or the prophets. Now, Jesus read, now flip over to Isaiah 61. Jesus read out of the prophets, but he didn't read all of verse 2. He did something here, very important. That that Sabbath day, Jesus preached at uh, at his synagogue there in Nazareth. So understand what happened. Follow the, follow the worship service. We have the Shema. We have the prayer. We had the Pentateuch reading. And then it was Jesus' turn, and he was going to uh, give the reading also. So he spoke out of the prophets. Isaiah is considered one of the prophets. So that's what his reading was. And then he's going to go into his sermon. And we're going we're to see his sermon, what he did. Jesus did something very unusual for his sermon. So he read this right here, Isaiah 61.2. I want to read this because, or yeah, 61, verse 1 and 2, because Jesus stopped halfway on verse 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me. And they're reading this out of a scroll. It's not out of the Bible we have. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped right there. Very important. This is a messianic prophecy. Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. To A. The second part, look at the latter part of verse 2. It says, And the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn. Well, that's a reference to the second coming. That's the future judgment of the Lord. Well, Jesus didn't come to, at this point, He wasn't bringing in the second coming. He was the first coming. He's saying here in Isaiah 61, verses 1, and then the first part of verse 2, guys, it's me. And if you flip back, go back in your Bible, Luke chapter 4, keep your finger there, go back, Luke chapter 4, so that's you notice he stops there in verse 19. 419 it says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Stop. He stopped right there. He didn't finish the verse. Well, the people in the synagogue, they knew this was a messianic verse. They knew they're talking about this is the Messiah here who's coming to proclaim the Lord's favor. And he's there to preach to the poor and proclaim release to the captives and give sight to the blind. Remember when Jesus' ministry was... Healing folks. Messiah is going to be able to heal. And then look what he does in verse 20. This is what really, where we took a twist during this worship service. Verse 20 it says, He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Well, what's next? In the ser- I mean, that the sermon... Was Jesus read from the prophet Isaiah, sat down. And then look what happened. So he's sitting down. He's talking about himself. That's what's so powerful about this passage. And he says here, it's look in um, in verse twenty, latter part of verse twenty. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. Understand the the moment how this occurred. They're staring at this man. Because he's supposed to keep talking. Like, I'm, I'm waiting for the sermon. They're just staring at him. And he's sitting down. And then he starts talking. Look at this. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, the Scripture has been fulfilled. Do you know what Jesus just said when he did that? The sermon was, congratulations, synagogue. Here at First Baptist Synagogue in Nazareth. Isaiah 1. Verse 1 and 2a have now been fulfilled. There's your sermon. And people are just staring at him. They think, I can't believe what this guy's claiming. Because remember now. Remember, who is Jesus? Jesus is Joseph and Mary's son. This guy's a carpenter. He grew up there. Literally, they're looking at him thinking, who does he think he is? How dare he come in here proclaiming, that Isaiah 61's about Him. He's didn't come to fulfill it. And look at what happened in verse 22. They were all speaking well of Him. They were speaking well of Him because Jesus was a likable guy, and plus He healed folks. Anytime somebody pick up a healing, you're going to gain some friends. And they were amazed at His gracious words. Jesus was smart. You weren't going to outwit the man. He knew the Bible better than you. Because they said the words that came out of His mouth, Yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? That's a total insult right there. They're putting Jesus in his place saying, How could this man be the Messiah if he's Joseph's son? Didn't he grow up a couple of blocks down the road? It's almost like he had to be reminded, Jesus, you're from Mississippi i'm sorry you're an old miss fan who do you think you are it's just you're you this can't be happening you you're delusional this isn't talking about you yes you're smart yes you're gracious yes you're very kind and you're you know your bible but you've crossed the line claiming you're the messiah so in the in the worship service, after the sermon, Jesus is sitting down, and then they would have a priestly blessing. Typically what would happen, the, the preacher of the, uh, of the, at the Sabbath, he would explain, the sermon would be based on the Pentateuch or the prophets, and they would explain what the scriptures would say, and then they have a priestly blessing. That would be like their benediction. They'd have a blessing for all the folks to go out, and the Lord would be with them, and then that would be the end of their worship service there. And what was powerful about this, is Jesus, he's in his hometown church, the church he grew up in, and his ministry begins by proclaiming, I'm the one the scriptures here have, are talking about. Now, keep going along here. Verse 23. So remember, they've questioned who he is. So, obviously, this is an awkward situation. Jesus just proclaimed he's the Messiah. People are staring about him, reminding, saying to themselves, this is Joseph's son. Verse 23 Then they said to him, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. You remember Jesus can read, folks, mine. Doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. Meaning, they're saying, Jesus, if you're such a great healer, heal yourself, heal others. You know, if you can do stuff in Capernaum, the town nearby, why don't you do it here? He also said, now this is where, this is where he gets in trouble right here. Because they're about to kill Jesus. Jesus's ministry almost ended as fast as it began in this section here. And we're going to look at these stories that Jesus quotes, because I think they're important, because I want to explain why Jesus referenced these two stories we're about to see. So we're going to turn in our Bibles in a little bit, to First Kings 17 and then Second Kings chapter 5. He's about to quote two stories. So Jesus is really talking to their minds. Remember, they haven't said anything. They're just, he's reading their minds. He also said to them, Jesus is sitting down talking to them in the synagogue in Nazareth. He also said to them, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. He's not. He's not. He's in his hometown and nobody accepts him. In fact, typically, um, when you're a prophet, your stock goes up after you've died. Uh, Because usually prophets were killed in the Old Testament. They weren't warmly received. And then after they passed away several years, they realized, you know, that was a good guy after all. We should make a statue of him or, or, or give, him, uh, give him an award, a posthumous award with that. Here is Jesus here. He's in his hometown, and they're real, he's proclaiming he's the Messiah. But I say to you in verse 25, There were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while the great famine came all over the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. Now, we're going to turn and say, now this seems odd. Why on earth is Jesus telling this story? So, we need to understand what's going on. Keep your finger here in Luke chapter 4. Flip back in your Bible to First Kings chapter 17. This is the story Jesus just told. Jesus is telling a story about Elijah. I want to, I want to read this story. You're you need to know it. And the reason why you need to know this is because Jesus referenced it. And it's important because what he's saying here is hugely significant to his ministry and what's about to occur. 1 Kings chapter 17. Now what's going on here is Israel has a new king and his name is Ahab. Ahab is considered the most wicked king ever to rule over Israel. The king, uh, now, remember, we have a divided kingdom at this point. We have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom there is, has Ahab. He had a wife named Jezebel who was even worse than Ahab. I and mean, they were just wicked. Ahab and Jezebel were ruthless people. Jezebel even took it up a level herself. She was the queen. She didn't like you. She killed you. That is how they did business. You died. There was no talking back to these folks. It was, they got rid of all worship of Yahweh, all worship of the Lord, and they brought in idol worship. It was, they were worshiping foreign gods. And all of a sudden, what I love about Elijah have you ever been to like a conference and somebody introduces the speaker and they go on and on and they talk about all their PhDs, all their accomplishments, every great thing? And this, you just think, what? I mean, is this the greatest human ever to walk on the earth? And they go, and they really just make this person walk on clouds. Now, that might work today, but that's not how God's prophets were introduced. Of all the prophets in the Bible, Elijah, you talk about somebody who truly busted on the scene with no introduction, and we're about to read his introduction here. This guy came out of nowhere, Elijah did. And remember too, Elijah is one of the few people, Elijah never died. So this guy rode up in a chariot to heaven. And Elijah was a great prophet. He was so great, Jesus quoted him here. And he uses an example. I want you to follow in your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 17. This is what Jesus is talking about. We're going to read this. Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab. There you have it. That's his introduction. This man is not mentioned in the Bible until this point. We don't know who Elijah is. He just showed up. This man is from the Gilead settlers and he's a Tishbite. He pops on the scene. He's got the spear of the Lord. This man is bold. And you do not talk to King Ahab this way, but Elijah did. He said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Now that's a bold prophecy right there. Because he just went to the king and said, King Ahab, I want you to know it's not going to rain anymore unless I, unless I command it to rain. Not you. He's telling the king that he has authority to make it rain or not rain. Well, that didn't go very well. Then the word of the Lord came to him. God also, one of the great things about our Lord is when you proclaim his word, he also protects you. And this is God realized too. You say something like that to Ahab and Jezebel, you're going to need some divine direction because they will kill you. And here comes the divine direction. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 3 Leave here, turn eastward, and hide at Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. You are to drink from the Wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So God said, You can't stay here anymore, Elijah. You're going to have to go hide out in the country. It's time to go to the wilderness. I'm going to send some birds out there. They're going to bring you food, and you're going to drink from the little brook, the little river. So that, that's how I'll keep you alive. So God is, this new prophet, Elijah, shows up. God is providing birds to bring him the food. He's getting deliveries from the birds. So he, pursued to, he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded Elijah. Commanded to do. Elijah left and lived at the Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. Verse 6, the ravens kept bringing him bread and meat, In the morning and in the evening. And he would drink from the wadi. After a while, now this is actually a whole sermon, in this one verse. After a while, the wadi, and some of your Bible says the brook. After a while, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. You know, that's one of the ways God moves you. Are you spiritually dry? Have you ever, have you, you ever feel like you're running on empty? Have you ever felt like, God, I'm just not hearing from you anymore? That's also when we're about to see Elijah move. God put him in the brook out here in the wadi. And then all of a sudden, he's bringing the ravens. And the ravens kept bringing the food, but the brook, it dried up. And that was God's way of saying, Elijah, there's no more water here. God moves people, and he dries up a brook to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's how he's moving Elijah in this, in this example right here. So look what happens. Verse 8. Then, of course, the Lord's still speaking here. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Get up, go to Zarephath. That belongs to Sidon. And stay there. Now, the problem with this is we're now out of Jewish territory. Zarephath is in a Gentile city. We are going to an area outside of where Jews live. We're going to um, an an area in what they call Phoenicia there. Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, Please, Bring me a little water and a cup. Remember, his brook dried up, so he didn't have a lot of water. And let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand, because you know, ra- you know, he's on the move now, so he's not getting his food from the ravens anymore. But she said, Now look at this. As now this is what really this is how we also know he's in a foreigner's house. Look how well, how she describes the Lord. But she said, As the Lord your God lives. Because she's a, she's a Gentile. She's talking to a Jewish man, a Jewish prophet. She said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked. Only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. And what she means by that is she says, I am at the end of the rope. We are about to die. We are so hungry. Now remember, why is she hungry? Because there's a famine. At whose word? It was Elijah's word. So, a lot of people don't like Elijah right now. Because people are dying in this famine. And God's using this famine here to get Ahab's attention. Is Let Ahab and Jezebel know that Elijah, because he serves the Lord at his, at his word, it will rain again. I mean, there was no dew. It was dry. It was a desert everywhere throughout the Middle East. So this woman here, that she's aware of who Elijah is because the whole nation is aware of Elijah because he's the one who said this. So I'm sure King Ahab and Jezebel are blaming Elijah for this. That's why they can't find him because he's hiding in some brook out in the middle of nowhere. But the brook dried up. And probably also what happened, I believe, Why you say, Pastor, why why did she go to this widow? This widow here, remember, everybody hated Elijah because he was responsible for this. But she was about to die. Like, she knew this is it. So whether or not Elijah's in my house or not, it doesn't matter. I'm about to die, my son. We are that that far more. deep into a drought and no food. So verse 13, Then Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterward you may make some for yourself and your son. For This is what the Lord God of Israel says. The flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the earth. And it goes on to say here, So she proceeded to do according to the word of the Lord, or according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman, Elijah and her household, ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty, and the oil jug did not run dry according to the word of the Lord as He spoken through Elijah. Meaning, their jar and their oil never ran dry. So, and then also what happens is her son's about to die, and uh, Elijah raised her son from, this is a widow, so if you're a widow and you lose your son, you have nothing. There's no social security, no savings. You are literally homeless. And it was a dire circumstances for, for uh, the folks there throughout the Middle East during this period. But what the miracle, what happened is God sent Elijah to this woman, and it saved her life, her son's life, and a miracle occurred. Now, what's, what's challenging for Jewish people about this, why did God send Elijah to a Gentile? That's the problem with this. We're at a non Jew. God used someone who even referred to Elijah's God as your God. She referred, she made it very clear that. Your God, as the, verse 12, as the Lord your God lives, not her God. So what Jesus is saying, now you say, Pastor, what does this have to do with Luke chapter 4? What Jesus is saying, guys, is just like Elijah went to that widow who is a Gentile, I also am going to go to the Gentiles. Well, that's the last thing they wanted to hear. Jesus is proclaiming his ministry at the very beginning. One of the great things about Jesus is he, the man knew where he was going, what he was doing. He knew his mission. He, at the, His very first sermon, he preached. He's saying, guys, I'm going to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. This isn't just for Judaism. This isn't for people who are just like us. We're going to everyone. We're going to, just like Elijah, God led Elijah to the Gentiles, you're going to people too who don't look like you. So that's the first, first example Jesus gave here. Now go back in your Bible to Luke chapter 4. Remember, Jesus is trying to explain why he's teaching on this and on his first sermon. So he used the example of Elijah. Now Elijah, Elijah had, his successor was named Elisha. So now we see the next example here. Verse 27. We're in Luke 427. It says here, Jesus speaking, and the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy. And yet not, not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So who is this? Naaman the Syrian. Now we know a Syrian's not a Jewish person. Who is Naaman? All right, flip back in your Bible, your Old Testament book of 2 Kings. Remember, Jesus quoted this. We need to know the story. It's important. If it's important enough for Jesus to preach his first sermon on it, we certainly need to know what Jesus is talking about right here. Naaman was from Syria. He's a Gentile. Now, Elisha, he also busts on the scene. He was bald. He was received a blessing from Elisha and that received Elisha's mantle, or Elijah's mantle, and then he's coming about, and he's going to start doing the Lord's work. And one of the great miracle he's, miracles he's going to perform is there is an army leader, a leader named Naaman who's suffering from leprosy. And of all the people who get healed, a foreigner receives the touch of the Lord, receives the healing from Elisha. It's found in Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Look at his skin disease here. This just shows that the gospel goes out even to folks and heals people, even folks who maybe aren't even believers. You know, one of the things we forget about the power of the gospel and the great things about the Lord, uh, the question is, can God heal even a non-Christian? Absolutely. Can God touch even those who aren't believers? Absolutely. Naaman here isn't saved. He's healed. There's a difference. He's receiving God the healing from the Lord. Verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a man who was very important to his master and highly regarded. That's that introduction that Elijah didn't receive right there. Elijah showed up. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. So God used Naaman to win a victory, even though Naaman is not a Jewish person. He's a Gentile. In the Old Testament, how is someone saved? Someone is saved by serving the Lord. Naaman here, they're saved by uh, loving the Lord, serving the Lord, by being Jewish. But that's not Naaman. He's, uh, He's a Syrian. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. And that skin disease there is leprosy. That's a death sentence. He knows ultimately he's going to start losing his limbs, his hands, his feet. It's terrible. One time, I was preaching on this several years ago, and I thought, I want to see what leprosy looks like. And I don't advise you to do this, but if you ever do want to see some ugly, gruesome pictures, you go on Google and type in the word leprosy. And instead of looking at news articles, you click on the photos, the pictures. And you will see, I mean, it's awful. Leprosy, you lose, you lose your limbs, and slowly, just ears, things to fall off. Everything becomes infected. It's a terrible disease. Well, this army, this army general, he had leprosy and he was dying of it. Verse two, Aram had gone on raids and brought back the land of Israel, and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served as Naaman's wife. So. Um, he uh, had someone in his house here, a young lady who was aware of Elisha and aware of the teachings of the scriptures. She said to her mistress, "So what happened? understand they captured an Israelite girl who served Naaman's wife. She was she was a servant girl, but she was Jewish. She said this young girl to her mistress." If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had se- said. Therefore the king of Aaron... So what happened here is when, um, when someone's desperate for a healing, they will do anything. This is why guys like Benny Hinn and these faith healers are so popular. Because I'm telling you, if you have been given six months to live, three months to live, and you have no hope, and the doctor is looking at you and says, I, have, I can't do anything. There's nothing more we can do. No treatment's going to work for your cancer. They, people will, they will turn to anything. Well, luckily, they're now going to turn to the Lord right here. So what happened, Naaman, he realizes, this guy realizes I'm about to die. Like there's, they didn't have, they didn't have, This is 3,000 years ago. They didn't have medicine like we have it now. If you've got leprosy, it's just a matter of time. Your t- the time clock is ticking. So Naaman, is, he's going to go to the king and he's going to say, I need permission to take off some work and we're going to go try to get a healing over here. So Naaman went down, verse 4, told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore the king of Aram said, go and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. It's important to receive a letter because uh, this is showing that we're not here for war. We're not here to fight. We're here for medical treatment or for a healing. So that's what the letter from the king represented. So he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. So he's a wealthy man. He brought the letter of the king of Israel and, uh, to the king of Israel and had it read, When the letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant, Naaman, for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter... So we're going to the king of Israel and saying, here's my letter, just go ahead and cure my army general here. When, verse 7. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, Am I God, killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? Recognize that he is picking a fight with me. So the king of Israel's thinking, is this a scam? Is this a joke? This isn't right. So what occurs here, what we're seeing here in the Scriptures, and what's going to occur is when Elijah, so he, he tore his rope, meaning the king is upset, that's a symbol. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have them come to me. Word gets out when the king tears his clothes. Have the man come to me. That he, there, that he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. I want, I want you to picture. So word gets out. king is torn his robe there in Jerusalem. So all of a sudden, now, Elijah says, just send the, send the man to my house, and we need to let folks know that there is a prophet. God is still at work here in Israel. What's interesting about this story, Elisha never comes down. He never even sees the man. Look at what happened. This an amazing story. Verse 10. Then Elijah sent him a messenger who said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and your skin will be restored, and you will be clean. Did Elisha even open the door? Surely, if someone well-known and famous was standing at your door, you would go and get an autograph, you get your picture made, you put it on Facebook. I mean, you wouldn't want to go speak to the guy. Naaman sends, or Elisha sends his messenger to Naaman and just says, here's your orders, just go in the river, Jordan River, which is not a big river, which is a dirty river. Just dip seven times, wash seven times, and your skin disease will be cleansed. But look at this. But Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself, he will surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. No, not, notice he didn't refer to his as my God. It's his God. His God of Elisha. Wave his hand over the place and cure my skin disease. You know, I think that's what people think of a healing. It's a show. Healings come at the word of the Lord. It's not about waving your hand. It's not about a blessing. If the Lord says you're going to be healed and it's His will, you're going to be healed. And what happened? Naaman's angry about this. Verse 12 Aren't Abana and Phipher, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? So he's now going to compare, of all places we're going to go to, we're not going to the Jordan River. That's a place to dump. It's polluted, there's trash. Why would I go to the Jordan River? I mean, this guy has seen the whole world. He knows there's better rivers to receive the healing from. Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a race. So this guy thinks, this is so disappointing. I'm not even worthy enough for this prophet to come down and speak to me. He sends his slave, his messenger to me, and tells me to make a fool of myself in the Jordan River seven times. Verse 13. But his servants approached and said to him, My Father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you to go wash and be clean? Basically saying, guys, we've come this far. Just, I mean, you're about to die. Just give it. What do you have to lose? Like there's no reason not to do this, is what he's he's commanding him. So it says here then, in verse 14, So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God. The man of God is Elisha. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was cleansed. Then Naaman and the whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him, and declared, I know know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. Therefore, please accept a gift for your servant. What happened here is God allowed a foreigner, a man from Syria named Naaman, to be healed from leprosy in the waters of the Jordan River. That's why the Jordan Rivers are so special. It's Israel's water right there. Jesus was baptized in it. Naaman was healed in it. And what occurs here is Naaman, all he knew to do is, okay, I've got all this stuff. I'm now just going to go give it all to Elijah. Well, that would have been the Elijah would have been the richest man in the whole town if he had received that gift. And you know what happens here is um, we won't read it, but Elijah's messenger hears about this. If you read on the story, after Elijah wouldn't take a dime from him, because he's a He realizes, it wasn't me who healed you. I don't do this to make money. I can't accept money for God's healing for you. But the messenger then, after he had left, Naaman left, ran ahead and said, hey, you know, my master changed his mind. He'd like a little bit. And he got a little bit of it. And then he came back inside, Elijah's messenger and servant, and Elisha called him up and said, um, God spoke to Elijah and said, did you go and get that? Naaman's leprosy went from Naaman to Elisha's messenger and servant. So it just God transferred it all of a sudden to Elisha's house, to his messenger, because he went and re- went and lied and got the money for that. And the story about this, now why is this so important going all the way back here to Luke chapter 4 what God is saying to us and why did Jesus tell this? And in verse 27, in the prophet Elijah's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. God allowed Elisha to heal a Gentile. So you look at what occurred here. God did a miracle with the widow in Zarephath, which was a Gentile town, and she was able to provide for Elijah. God also did a miracle and healed a Gentile named Naaman and he was able to be healed from his skin disease. Here is Jesus saying at the beginning of his ministry, guys, I know you're looking for a Messiah who's going to be a political one, who's going to make Israel great again, but the, but the kingdom my father's ushering in is actually taking the gospel, seeing all people's being able to get saved and being able to receive a touch from God. Now, they didn't like that. Verse 28. Here we, We're about to wrap this up here. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. I mean, these were the two worst possible stories Jesus could have quoted them. They are basically saying, just like Elijah and Elijah went out to the Gentiles, I am also. They got up, drove them out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intended to hurl him over the cliff. First sermon, he's about to get killed. Jesus is right here. He, he did not base the response of his sermon, the response of the people, on his future ministry. If he did, this would be a huge strike against him. Could you imagine preaching a sermon, and the response is, Preacher, we're going to kill you. Let's go and we're going to push you off a cliff. You're about to die. In verse 30, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So, what do we see here? And takeaways in closing here Jesus didn't try to win back the crowd after they turned into a mob. Have you ever told somebody biblical truth and they were offended or upset or didn't want to hear it? There was no apology Jesus offered. These folks in Nazareth did not enjoy hearing Jesus' first sermon whatsoever. Because he said, I'm the Messiah, and the gospel is about to go out to Gentiles. It's not all about you anymore. Well, they didn't like that. They were turning into a mob. What we also see, and we don't have time to turn there, but Luke here, he's starting out his ministry at home in Nazareth for Jesus. You remember, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. From Jesus, then we get Peter and the early disciples, then we pick up into Paul. Paul ended in Rome in Acts 28-31. And what's powerful about that, we're seeing how the gospel starts out in hometown Nazareth, base, first sermon from Jesus. And about know, 60 years later, Paul is preaching that gospel, the same message of Jesus, to all these Gentiles in Rome. And then it just continues to go for. And not only that, we know that rejection... Is not the end of your ministry. Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever had a setback? Rejection, you invite someone to church and they say no. You go out and you uh, try to do a good deed for them, you want to help others, and they just aren't welcome to it. You might do a full gospel presentation, you tell them they need to be saved, and they say no, or baptized, or they ain't join Sunday school, and it's no, no, no. The great thing we get about the Lord is He also was rejected. Rejection doesn't mean just because you were rejected today it does not mean you're going to be rejected tomorrow. Jesus was rejected in his hometown. The Bible says in Matthew's account that he did very few miracles in Nazareth because of the lack of their faith. One of the hardest places for you to win people to the Lord is at home. It was hard for Jesus. All they could think about this man is, He's Joseph's son. And what we see, what's powerful about Jesus, is he knew his purpose and his mission was to take the gospel and to preach the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see the examples of Elijah and Elisha. If God can bring the gospel to these, through these people to Naaman and the widow in Zarephath, he can certainly continue it today and i think what i want to end on is for you to look at yourself and says lord have i have i allowed a rejection someone to say something to me they maybe were hurtful to me or they were critical to me have i allowed it for me to stop and what it's like is like pouring cold water on you you were on fire for jesus at one point but you got poured cold water That's literally what happened in Jesus' sermon. They're trying to kill the man after he was preaching to them. So we know Jesus. He just moved on. So Nazareth says, hey, if they don't want to hear it, I'm going to take it to somewhere else. the word. The gospel never ends. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your Bible story that you quote here out of Isaiah 71. You also quote about Elisha and Elijah. Lord, we thank you for these stories. Lord, we need to know what happens in your word. Lord, if you quote it, we need to know it. God, I pray if there's someone here, maybe they have been experienced rejection. Lord, I pray that they will not allow that rejection to, to be, determine their future ministry, their future service for you. Lord, you called Jesus, your son. You equipped him. You gave him the words to say, and he continued on. He said of he, set example. he sets an example for us today. Lord, I just pray today, if there's anybody here during invitation, if they need to come forward and make a, their decision public to follow you, I pray they certainly will. You give you this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David Dale going to lead us in a song. I'm invite everyone to stand up. We're going to have our invitation. As always, I'll be standing down front waiting for you to respond. Let's stand together and sing. Let's sing, I have decided.
0: I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided
1: to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back.
0: Though not going me.
2: We're remind you men, Friday night and Saturday is our, our men's conference, so we want all of the guys to come, even if you only come for an hour or two, at least come get some hamburgers at 6 o'clock, stay for an hour, check it out, and then it, it will continue on those two days. Also, for our Bible, uh, Bible scholars here, everybody needs to always study their Bible, we are in commandment number four. We are to honor in a, the Sabbath day and, and keep it holy, so we're going to compare the difference. On Wednesday night, the Sabbath day from the Lord's Day. There's a difference between Saturday and Sunday, and we're going to look at those differences in the Scriptures. David? Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. You know the chorus? Let's close with that. Thank,
0: thank you, Lord, so Facebook, for saving my soul. Thank, thank you, talk to Lord, friends, for, for <laughs> making we're on Facebook Live. All. Thank you, For giving to me thy great salvation, so full
1: and free. Good night.